The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, thank you again for being here with us. We appreciate uh, you wearing your, your mask. We're working hard at this, so I would just ask that you don't be maskadaisical. Oh, don't be maskadaisical, right? Man, you look really masculine in yours. Huh? No, no. Ladies, uh, your mask really accentuate your mascara? Huh? I, I think we're all, we're, all, we're all covered now, right? All right. Don't, don't clap for me. Clap for Chris back here, right? Right? All right. So my name is Chase. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new here, kind of what we do on Sundays, we have a teaching team. I get to lead that teaching team. And so there's a guy named Dave, a guy named Tim that teach a lot as well, along with others. Shannon does some for us, who you saw up here earlier. And what we typically do at TBC is we go through books of the Bible. And sometimes we'll do a doctrinal series or like this summer, this is our last week in the Psalms. We've done several weeks in the Psalms. Next week, we'll start 30 weeks in 1 Corinthians, just kind of walking through, learning what God wants to teach us from the word. So today we're in Psalm 136 and we're going to talk about God's relentless love. Well, this week, on Wednesday morning, I was driving my son to CrossFit and on the way between here and Colleen, just outside of Belton, I see a car on fire. And it took me back about 23 years, early 1997, to when my car caught on fire. I was in college. It was my fifth of seven years in college. If you guys need help, I'm an expert, right? And I'm driving in Beaumont, Texas, and I had an old Mustang. And I say I had an old Mustang because that sounds really, really cool. I had an eight-year-old four-cylinder Mustang, and the windows wouldn't roll up in it. It was awful, not what you think of when you think Ford Mustang. This was in no way a sports car, and something was wrong with it. It caught on fire. So I'm driving along, I see smoke coming out of the hood, and I start to smell this really just oily, burning, awful thing. So I pull into a Walmart parking lot, I pop the hood, I get out and pull it up, and when I do, flames just shoot up into the sky. So what do you do in that moment? I did what any sane, smart person would have done. I blew out the fire. So it's about two feet high. It's touching the top of the inside of the hood. I blow on it. It goes down a little bit, starts to raise back up. I blow on it again. It goes down a little bit, starts to raise back up. I blow on it again, and it goes out. I thought about that this week, and I just thought, what an idiot. Like your car's on fire. I've heard they blow up when that happens sometimes. And I just blew it out. But when I thought about that, I, I just thought there are so many times when God was loving me, when God was protecting me in spite of myself, whether it be foolish, sinful times or whether it was just me being dumb. I've been in lots of rooms, but I've never, ever been the smartest person in the room. And over and over and over, the Lord has protected me. And he's done that for you as well. He's done that in moments when you might not have known that he was, and that was the case with me, and that was the case with Israel. They would go through seasons of just open rebellion or foolishness, and God would protect them. His love was with them. And in, the, in Psalm 136, 
The psalmist is just recalling that. And Israel would sing this and over and over and over in this psalm, 26 times they restate this phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. So today we're gonna talk about God as creator, whose love endures forever, as rescuer, whose love endures forever, and as victor, whose love endures forever. We don't know who wrote this song, but we know Israel sang it and they sang it a lot. Right before Solomon's temple was being dedicated, they were singing this song. When the armies of Jehoshaphat went out and won in the wilderness of Tekoa, they were singing this song and they would sing it over and over and over. You just want a great exercise. It might be 26 times just to think back about your life, to think about your life and write how God's steadfast love has endured in your life in different ways, maybe in the family you're in, maybe rescuing you from your own sin, maybe just being really, really not smart like me and doing foolish things. And over and over and over, God's redeeming love, his rescuing love has been there. So let's read about the first nine verses of Psalm 136. And then we'll dive in together further and further in the psalm. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. God, we thank you for these truths that you, our creator God, who's also our rescuer and our victor God, you've loved us in ways that we could have never imagined on days that we didn't realize. God, you've cared for us as a God of wonders, the God of gods who is good. And God, we thank you for how your steadfast love has cared for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 136 kind of begins just with a broad brush introduction to give thanks to God. It says that he's good, he's the God of gods, and he's the Lord of lords. And then the rest of the psalm can kind of be broken up into three sections that talk about this God who loves his people forever. And so we're gonna look at the first of those sections that God's master plan is a plan of steadfast love. The God of creation created you and me and the world and everything in it so that we might know and understand his great love for us and we might embrace that love and appreciate that love and be surrounded by that love. Verses four through six say that he alone does great wonders that by his understanding made the heavens, and then to him who spread out the earth above the waters, God in creation has just expressed how amazing he is, and there are lots of ways that we could think about that, but I want us to do that by looking just at, at a couple of things from the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. It's over 133,000 miles of reef. There are 1,500 species of fish, 16 species of sea turtle. There's 130 different species of sharks 
and dolphins. There's 15 species of seagrass, 5,000 types of mollusks, nine types of seahorse, seven different frogs, and 17 sea snakes. Its ecosystem is similar to that of a rainforest, and God, the God who made this really amazing yellow and red spotted fish, The guy who made this sea turtle, which you may have seen, he starred in a movie called Finding Nemo. This God has loved us. He's called us the pinnacle of his creation and his love will not go away for you and me. It's a love that endures forever. He's the creator of all things. And one of my friends said it so well that his master plan was a plan of steadfast love. And that's the best story in the world, when you try to make sense of how we got to where we are today. A God who creates, a God who loves, a God who cares. It's just this great story to be living in. But it goes on to say, to him who made the great lights, his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over day and the moon and stars to rule overnight. Even in creation, God is reminding us of his love. When you think about it over and over and over, the rhythm of every night and every day tell us two things. At night, what we're told is that in darkness, there is light. And there's lots and lots of light. My family and I went to Yellowstone two summers ago. And I remember walking outside our cabin just in the middle of nowhere one night and looking up and just being blown away, seeing more stars than I ever knew existed. And I was just seeing one little section and one little corner and one little galaxy of the universe. And God made those stars and the moon to shine at night to say that light shines in darkness. And we need to know that light shines in darkness, but also... Also, the moon and the stars never stay there. Every day, the sun rises. Every day, it comes up over and over and over again. And in a season like 2020, we need to know that the darkness will not last forever. The darkness will not last forever. Day is coming. Day is coming, but even in darkness... Even in darkness, light shines. So when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist said that he was the light that gives life to men and this light shines in darkness and darkness can't overcome it. And even in creation, God wants us to know that his love will endure forever. He is the creator that will keep you day by day and night by night because his love for you and for me in Christ Jesus is endless. This is such an important thing for us to understand because it helps us to understand how God loves us and who we are. One of the beautiful things about God is that this creator God who comes to relationship with us never comes in need. God never comes to relationship out of need because he doesn't need anything. We always come to relationship out of need. We always come. That's how we start. We enter the world. And when we enter the world, the sign of life that the doctor who delivers us is looking for is that we are crying because we're hungry and we want milk. We want somebody to take care of us, someone to love us, someone to look out for us in all of our vulnerability. 
And Psalm 50, verses 11 and 12 says about God, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. All the beasts of the field are mine. The whole world is mine. All of its fullness, the cattle on a thousand hills. God comes to us not out of need, but out of love. He always comes to us out of love. And his desire to love you and me is out of his own will as our creator. And so in creation, he chose to love us and he's chosen to rescue us. And it's this beautiful picture of this love that will endure forever. One of my favorite books in the Bible, perhaps my favorite is a book of Ephesians. And I love it for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons that I love it is for its theme of adoption. See, Psalm 136 is just something that typifies the people of Israel. They had a history with God. They had seen him rescue them, as we're going to read. They knew that he was their God and they were his people. The Ephesians didn't have that story. Ephesus was a a town that was Greek and they worshiped a Greek God that was either called Artemis by some or Diana by others, this great God of fertility. And so when the Ephesians came into the church, they didn't have a story. They didn't have a history. And so Paul, as he's writing to this church, he plants, as he begins his letter, he tells them about this God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1 says. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. He has put us in his family and he's going to love us forever. He did this according to the purpose of his will. He goes on to say that we have redemption in him through the blood of Christ according to his purpose as a plan for the fullness of time. He created us and he's planned to save us with this plan of enduring and endless love. This gives us hope. It gives us hope and we believe and so we speak of this hope that we have because when there's a God of wonders who's impacted our lives, we tell about it. I remember if you've been here a while, you've heard me talk about it. When I was 17 years old, I came to Christ right before I was 17. And I began to pray really, really spiritual things. I lived with an aunt and uncle and I would ask God for really important things like, God, would you please give me a wife one day who can cook like Aunt Carol? And God, because he has this endless and steadfast and merciful love, he answered my prayer. I remember the first time Laura and I, I was going to her apartment and she was cooking a meal for me. And and I took a bite of those fajitas and light shone down from heaven and I said, this is the one, amen, hallelujah. And it just gets better and better and better. In fact, when, when the pandemic started, she made this new chicken marinade and I ate it and literally said, don't ever make a different chicken marinade again. I was blown away. And two weeks ago, she made a new one and I said, what are you doing? And it was better. And I just, I can't not tell about it because she is a wife of wonders. She hates it when I say that. See, God, who has reigned in steadfast love, who created us out of steadfast love, is a God of wonders. And and that ought to matter to us so much that it wells up into overflow that we just have to speak about it as Israel is over and over and over. His steadfast love just endures forever. See, God's steadfast love is his master plan, but also his rescue mission is a mission of steadfast love. 
And what we're gonna see here is the God who rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt has rescued us if we're in Christ from slavery to our own sin. We studied, starting last year in August, we studied the book of Abraham, Abraham, the book of Genesis, the life of Abraham, for about 26 weeks. And what we found out is that God is a God who keeps his promises and he's a God who accomplishes his purposes. And he told Abraham in Genesis 15, starting in about verse 13, listen, your descendants, they're gonna go into a land that's not their own, that was Egypt, and they're gonna be there and they're gonna be enslaved for 400 years. I'm gonna bring judgment on their captors and when I do, I'm gonna send them out and they're gonna come back into this land that I've promised you. He had promised Abraham this land. And that's exactly what happened. And so in Psalm 136, in the middle of the Psalm, they're remembering God's rescue mission to bring them out of slavery in Egypt to show that God is a God above heaven over all the earth, that the gods of Egypt were false gods. And so as they recount that, they just recount the ways that God rescued them. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. See, Moses goes to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh will not let the people of God go into the wilderness to worship. And so God brings plagues upon the people of Egypt. And the last one is that the firstborn of all Egyptians were struck down. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his steadfast love endures forever. He brought Israel out from among them. His steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it. His steadfast love endures forever. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his steadfast love endures forever. See, God had rescued Israel. He had saved them out of slavery, and they needed to remember So they were gonna be enslaved over and over again, held captive over and over again, and they needed to remember. This is a point of application when life is ambiguous, when life is frightening, and when life seems hopeless. Remember. Remember how God has walked you through previous days that were beautiful and previous days that were hard, and God will be with you. And future days that are beautiful and future days that are hard. We were looking back at Instagram photos. I got five kids. My oldest is the University of Arkansas. She's from Texas, so she's the smartest person there. And, uh, and then we got a son who's 16, and we thought we were done having kids, and we were done having kids, but then God had this adoption plan for us, so we ended up adopting our last three children who are nine and seven or six and five, and we got five. I can't remember all their ages, right? And we were just looking back at pictures of when our children were younger and just thanking God. But as we were going through those pictures and looking at all these beautiful moments, and I I saw the moment that the aunt and uncle who raised me died and us remembering that. And then I saw the moment of, of a failed adoption that was so hard and how God was with us in that. See, Israel's remembering 
His steadfast love endures forever and his steadfast love comes to rescue us not from slavery to hard times but from slavery to our own sin. Israel didn't get this. They didn't understand this. In Jesus' day, the leaders of Israel are, are arguing with Jesus and he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the teachers of the law, the leaders said, what do you mean set us free? We've never been enslaved to anyone. We're Abraham's offspring. These people knew the scripture and that's just wrong. They've been enslaved to Egypt, enslaved to Persia, enslaved to Babylon. So Jesus answers them, but he doesn't answer them to explain how they've been enslaved by all these people. He says, no, 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 if anyone sins, he's a slave to sin. So you and I, we're enslaved to sin because we've sinned. He says, but if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So God can rescue you and he can rescue me from our own sin through Jesus Christ. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. He or she is a new creation. The old has gone away, but all the new has come. That God set Jesus forward. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that in him we could become the righteousness of God. And it's such a big deal because though we're made in God's image, we are profoundly broken by our sin. So two truths about Jesus as rescuer. He was gonna be the rescuer for Israel. That's what John and Peter to his disciples told the teachers of Israel after Jesus rose from the dead. They said, there's no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved. It's just the name of Jesus. And in his name, there's salvation. That was true for Israel, but it's true for all of humanity. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And we kind of wonder, is it Jesus or is it someone else? And I'll just tell you, if it ain't Jesus, it ain't anybody. He is the way. So we run to him as rescuer who can save us to the uttermost. Over and over and over, Israel had the experience of rescue, but they missed the meaning. There's a poem by T.S. Eliot, and he says, we had the experience, but we missed the meaning. And to the degree that we think Jesus wants to come and, and wrap around our life being at the center of something he's doing or save us from enemies out there, we are missing the mark. We might be having the experience, but we're missing the meaning. He wants to save us from ourselves to the uttermost. See, this rescue comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he had a master plan that was a plan of enduring love. He had a rescue mission that was a mission of enduring love. And then we're gonna find in just a second that he had a victory, it's a victorious reign of enduring love. See, God did all these things to Egypt and then he led Israel out. He led Israel out and then verse 16 says, to him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. You could look on 2020 and go, guide what in the world is going on? And if you said that, you could, you could quote me because I've said that a lot this year. God, what is this wilderness that you have led us into? Israel asked that. What in the world is going on? But here's the truth. Here's the truth. 
His steadfast love endures forever and the God who leads us to the wilderness is the God who will lead us through the wilderness. He's not done, it's not over and he will lead us through. See, Jesus walked through the wilderness of death and the grave and he rose up and his victorious reign is a reign of steadfast love. When we, when we talk about what that means for us and my family, there's a way that we say that and the way that we say it comes from a book that we started reading a long time ago called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it says that God's love is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. His steadfast love endures forever. And that love is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. If you haven't read the Jesus Storybook Bible, parents, if you don't have that, you should get it. We were reading it to Maddie before she could walk and we continue to read it and continue to read it. And Maddie trusted Christ at an early age and I remember her running out of her room after we had read the Jesus Storybook Bible, we had said our prayers and then she came out the next morning and she said, Dad, Dad, last night, last night I asked Jesus to be my treasure and my king forever. I was like, whoa, hold on, tell me about this. And what she understood from this kid's book, and it really helped me to understand, is that the whole scripture, not just Psalm 136, not just the stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, but this whole book is a book that tells us about God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. He conquered the enemies of Israel and he will conquer the enemies of his people. God didn't just show that he was stronger than the false gods of Egypt. He showed Israel as they walked into the wilderness and then they went toward the promised land that he was God over all nations. We've just studied this two weeks ago. Pastor Brandon walked us through Psalm 67 and talk to us about a God who will bless the nations. Dave, Pastor Dave last week, walked us through Psalm 90 and showed us how from everlasting to everlasting, he is God and his love is everlasting. He's a God of steadfast love. He's a God of steadfast love who is always making intercession for us. See, we fail sometimes to walk in the victory that Jesus has given us, and it's not because we don't think that we have enemies, it's because we don't know who our enemies actually are. It's not because we don't think we have enemies, it's because we don't know who our enemies are. According to John, our enemies are the world, our own flesh, and the devil. Well, we think our enemy's the world. Well, what is that? It's all those people out there. That's not what John is talking about. It's not what Paul's talking about either. In Ephesians chapter six, he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle or we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. That's the world. These rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that bring evil about in the hearts and lives of people. So take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. See, when I ask who's your enemy, some of you someone comes to mind or a type of person comes to mind. Somebody who may have hurt you comes to mind or a type of people or a person you don't like comes to mind, but our battle is not against flesh and blood. 
It's not against flesh and blood. The greatest battle that needed to be fought on our behalf was victory over our sin and Jesus fought it and won both in what he's done for us and in what he is doing for us. When we talk about the work of Christ, we usually talk about the finished work of Christ. But if somebody asks you right now, what is Jesus doing? What would your answer be? Somebody said, right now, what's Jesus doing? What would your answer be? And I gotta tell you this week, as I read, I saw some of that answer and I was just so encouraged. So encouraged. Hebrews 7, 25, consequently, because of who Jesus is and what he's done, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's present tense. He lives. He's excited about it. He lives for it. He lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is praying to God for you and me that we're going to make it, that we're not going to lose heart, that we're not going to give up, that we're going to keep going, that we will be transformed into the image of Christ. And God the Father delights to answer the Son's prayer. It's not just in Hebrews where that's found in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter eight, right before we're told that we can't be separated from the love of Christ, this love that endures forever, it says that Jesus is raised at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us, who's interceding for us. Now, when I imagine that, I imagine 17-year-old Chase praying and Jesus is going, yeah, give him, give him a wife who can cook. But that's not it, right? Right? He's crying out on the days that you are struggling and wrestling and think you can't defeat the sin that held you captive. He's saying, God, don't give up. Father, don't give up. God's going to continue to do this work in you. He who began a good work in you and in me. He's gonna be faithful to bring it to completion because Jesus is interceding for us. He's not just interceding for us though. He is an advocate for us. First John 2, 1. John says, I'm writing these things that you may not sin. He's writing to a church and transform people, live transformed lives. So he says, I'm writing so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate, a paraclete, one who comes alongside. He's the propitiation, the covering. He turns the wrath of God away from our sin not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Because Jesus is our maker and our rescuer and our victor. His power at work in us will transform us. It will transform us. That is actually what 1 Corinthians is gonna teach us. That's what 1 Corinthians is gonna teach us. That the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything everything after John tells the people about this advocate they have he says anyone who claims to abide in him ought to walk in the same manner that he walked and we do that by the power of his holy spirit because his love endures forever see Israel cried out to God over and over and over and what they found when they did this is that God accomplishes his purposes and he keeps his promises, that his love really is endless. You can't out his grace. 
You can try, but you're gonna fail. He will love you and love you and love you relentlessly on purpose. The God who made and rescued his people and rose from the dead. See, if 2020 has looked like anything more than it has looked like a car on fire, it's kind of looked like the world on fire. Both literally, when 2,700 pounds of ammonium nitrate exploded in the port of, De- of Beirut, and then figuratively, when this pandemic has hit and is ravaging the world, changing the way that we live, through the exposing of racist hearts and practices and then through broken and violent responses to those hearts and practices, to all the upheaval in the world, to the lightning speed and vicious tones with which we will divide over the smallest of issues. And in the midst of this world, there's the broken body of Jesus. And we need to remember that broken body because there's no greater symbol and reminder of the steadfast love of God. So for the next 30 weeks, that's what we will do. We'll think about the broken body of Jesus that ministers to this broken body in Corinth, broken by their own sin, broken in that they were divided, and they needed to be broken in repentance. Because one day, when we get to the end of 1 Corinthians, we'll find out that we're gonna rise up with bodies that aren't broken anymore because God's steadfast love endures forever. Students, I can remember my first semester in college, really my first seven semesters in college. You would think, well, there were only eight. Not for me, I had 14. My first semester in college, people asked me, what did you learn? What did you learn? And I would say, oh, not much, which was a lie. I learned a lot about ping pong and spades, and I got really, really good at them. There's a picture of me by the phrase, C's get degrees, okay? Wouldn't it be amazing though, if when you went home this semester or at the end of next semester, and somebody asked what you learned, and you said, I learned that God loves me with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always, and forever love. He does, he does. God, we give you thanks. We give thanks because you are God and your love endures forever. You're the God of gods and your love endures forever. You remembered us in our lowly estate. Your love endures forever and you are Lord of lords. And your love endures forever. So God, we just thank you. We thank you that it's a love that has saved us and it is a love that will keep us because the spirit is inside us and Jesus is interceding for us. Thank you, God, for your great love. And thank you for the broken body of Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.